Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you all for coming out this evening. As you can see from the title, it's a really optimistic, positive title. You can imagine the difficulty the music group had on selecting hymns on singing about the tribulation. But I cannot tell, but this I know is probably as close as we can get. So I am going to be speaking this evening on the road to Armageddon, but I just want to remind you of the title of the three series. The first one was Rediscovered Hope, Our Glorious Future. This evening is There is Worse to Come, and next week we will be concluding the series by looking at There is a Marriage Set in Heaven. Last week we looked at this topic of the millennium, and somebody asked me, as a matter of fact, a number of people asked me, as to why on earth I'm starting with the millennium. Surely it comes at the end. Why do you start at the end? Well, quite honest with you, how you deal with the millennium and how you treat the millennium and your understanding of the millennium dictates the rest of the timeline. And so you'll have gathered by now that I am a premillennialist, and I understood and understand that some of you may not agree with that, but bear with me because some of us are right, and I'm only joking. <laughs> we finished last week with talking about joy to the world, and I spoilt Christmas for you, because I told you that Isaac Watts didn't write a Christmas carol, but he wrote a hymn regarding the millennium. He wrote these words, joy to the world, and this is before it became a hymn. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Don't forget it is ancient English. And then he says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes, his nations, makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. And that, in many ways, encapsulates what we talked about last week as we looked at the topic of the millennium. And if you want to recap, that talk is on YouTube at this moment in time. But as I mentioned, there is worse to come, and it is the road to Armageddon. Let me just mention something to you at the start. My grandfather was born in Donegal in 1898. He died in 1955-56. I didn't know him. But I always wonder what would happen if my grandfather could have looked into the year 2023. What would he have made of it? A hundred years ago, what would he have made of what he sees today? How would he have described it? He wouldn't have had a television. He wouldn't have seen a computer. He wouldn't have known what a car was, rarely seen an airplane, etc., etc., etc. What words would he have used? He wouldn't have had the vocabulary. And in some ways, whenever we're looking at this section in the New Testament, in Revelation, John is looking into the future, and he doesn't have the words or the vocabulary to describe what he is seeing from a first-century perspective to, well, today, 2023, and dear knows how far further into the future. And so he uses poetic language. That's the first thing. But secondly, in order to fully understand that language, it's not just random language he uses, you've got to realize that John is actually using many pictures which have already been developed in the Old Testament. 
And what we're looking at today is a bringing together of all of the themes and words and topics in the Old Testament into this book of Revelation. We're not going to look at them all. Don't panic. We're going to look today or tonight at the tribulation. Some of you will uh, remember individuals like this. Prepare to meet thy God. I love the middle one. The end of the world is near, and on the back behind him is last days uh, for a seal. But these people you remember, you saw them. And so are what we're talking about tonight something that the street pre uh, preachers dealt with and really has now become obsolete? No. Because even today, if you go into the contemporary uh, internet, these are topics. 666, the four horsemen. Even today and this week in the headlines, meet General Armageddon and so on. And so when we're coming to look at the things which are to take place, remember we divided the book of Revelation last week. And what we're looking at today is that section which is called the Great Tribulation. Now, I just put this slide up, and I'm not going to say much more about it, other than to show you how much of the book of Revelation is taken up by this topic of the Great Tribulation, the Tribulation, the Great Tribulation. A significant section right in the middle of the book. So John, when he was writing what he saw, and God, the Lord, and when the Lord was showing him what to write, obviously it was an important topic. But even more importantly, Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been, been since the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. Then he goes on to say, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven, the heavens, will be shaken. The Lord Jesus Christ referred to the Great Tribulation. Now, when we read the book, or the word tribulation in the Bible, it's not always referring to this period, because it can also just refer to the frequent uh, difficulties and, and troubles we face in life. For example, in 2 Corinthians, it says, who comforts us in all our tribulations. And so, therefore, bear in mind that when you see the word tribulation in the Bible, it's not necessarily referring to the Great Tribulation. So, what is and how can we understand what the Great Tribulation is like? Well, I'm, there are numerous passages I could have gone to, but I want to take you just to two of them, okay? The first one is this, the Great Tribulation from Zephaniah, the great day of the Lord is near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. And then he develops that day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cries. And he finishes it with, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. That's an Old Testament passage. New Testament, if you go to the book of Second, First and Second Thessalonians, you read these. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then further he says, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman 
and they will not escape. And so when you take all of the passage, well, sorry, Revelation, it also refers to Revelation chapter 6, it says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So when you take all of the words and passages in the Bible and put them together, you get an idea of what the great tribulation will be like. I'm not going to read them all, just highlight a couple. A great day of the Lord, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of battle, a day of wrath, a day of clouds, a day of blankness. So what is the purpose of this period known as the tribulation? I can't dwell on these, but we will pick them up as we go through. It's a period when God is going to judge the world. It's also a period, and I stress, in the midst of the most difficult, violent opposition for worldwide evangelism. As you read through Revelation, you will see that, of people coming to know Christ during the tribulation period, but suffering for it. And it's a period which leads to the acceptance of the Jews as their Messiah. So God is going to judge the world. It's a period of evangelism, and it's a period whenever the Jewish nation, Israel, realizes that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. So when is it? Well, we have it here, the Great Tribulation. And if we go to our timeline, which we are developing, this is not a final timeline, don't panic. We had, this was where we were last week. We left it, the boxed area we touched upon. And so if we put in the tribulation, we find it comes in just before the second coming of Christ. And we also find that it is seven years long. You say, how can you be so precise? Well, if you go into the Bible, and in particular into the book of Daniel, there are a number of references. I can't develop them. I just draw them to your attention. He shall make a strong covenant for one week. And that one week refers to seven years. And if you want me to discuss that with you afterwards, I'll do that willingly. And also he says, and he shall make a strong covenant for many for one week. But then it goes on to develop that he will have it for half of the week, i.e. half of seven years. And this is picked up frequently throughout the Bible. Time, times and a half, three and a half. He will trample the holy city for 42 months. I'll help you with your maths, it's three and a half. And, I will, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, three and a half. And so the period of the Great Tribulation, or the Tribulation, the seven-year period, is divided into three-and-a-half-year sections. And then the Lord Jesus Christ explains why. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Notice, the Lord Jesus Christ is trusting the prophecies of Daniel, and he's emphasizing them. And he says that in the midst of this, there will be an abomination of desolation. What does that mean? What on earth does it mean? It is crucial to understand the tribulation period. In the abomination of desolation, Daniel prophesied three things. 
He said, a future ruler will make a peace treaty with the people of Israel. But in order for the future events to take place, the temple must be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Stop and think. One of the most contentious places on planet Earth will see a rebuilt temple. And then midway through this time, the ruler, Daniel says, will put an end to sacrifices and offerings in the temple. That's why we've got the three and a half years. And then at that time, the ruler will desecrate the temple. And this will continue until the judgment of God is finally meted out upon the ruler. So, according to Daniel, and the Lord Jesus agrees with him, there is going to be a rebuilding of the temple, which is going to be desecrated at the three and a half year mark. We don't know how. We can only guess. And judgment will come. So who's involved in this great tribulation? Revelation 12 and 13 contain prophetic passages that describe some of the main characters. And we can't deal with them all, but we'll deal with three significant ones. We link it into 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says this, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. The first character is Satan. And he's described in Revelation chapter 13 as a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. This takes us back, believe it or not, to Daniel. And then it goes on to say the heads and the horns will represent universal rule and complete world power or authority. I'm paraphrasing from Revelation. And then the tactic of, this, of Satan will be to imitate the things of God and to make himself appear like God. And the world will worship Satan and the Antichrist. When Satan was cast out of heaven, he said, I will be as God. And during the period of seven years of the tribulation, he is allowed to take control. And that already sets the scene for what is going to happen. Paul goes on to say, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And who's the man of lawlessness? Revelation picks it up. He's the Antichrist. And he's described as a beast that comes out of the sea. He'll be mortally wounded, according to Revelation. In other words, the world will think he has died and he will be miraculously healed. And the world will think, He's risen. And he will openly blaspheme God. He will break the peace treaty they made with the Jews at the start of the tribulation period, which allowed the building of the temple in Jerusalem. He will attack believers. He will desecrate the, the Jewish temple. And he'll set himself up to be worshipped. He will behave like God. 
and the numbers of his name add up to 666. Now, we're not going to try to work it out. The Bible doesn't tell us. People have tried to work it out. I heard it was Ronald Reagan. I've heard that it's everybody else. He even heard it was Prince Charles at one stage. We don't know. Simply put, we don't know. But his numbers of his names add up to 666. And he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. And he sets him up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So there's a spiritual side of this, and that is the emergence of a false prophet. He sets up an image to the Antichrist for worship and gives life to the image. He's capable of producing great signs and, and wonders, miracles. He is demanding the worship of the image in the temple and executes those who refuse to worship the image and requires all to have the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell. These are the three main individuals, Satan, the Antichrist, and a false prophet. And when you put them together, you get an unholy trinity. Satan will mimic God. And the unholy trinity, so Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will be in control for the seven years. But what will happen during the tribulation? We've looked at some of the background. What will happen? It's a period of judgment. We mentioned that already. And the judgments fall into three parts. There's what we call the, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And these are three sections in the book of Revelation. And in between each of those sections of the judgments, there is an interlude, which is sometimes confusing when you're trying to read it, because you think one runs naturally into the other. But bear in mind, you have a judgment, an interlude, a judgment, an interlude, and a judgment. And so, what are these seven seals, these seven trumpets, and these seven bowls? What are the seven seals as they are in Revelation? Very simply, the first seal is the arrival of the Antichrist. And let me take you to a graphic to illustrate this, because we're all aware of the men, the horsemen of the apocalypse. We all know it. It's commonly used in our vocabulary. This is where it is, in the midst of the tribulation. And here's what we read. And as I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals in the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, warfare, a crown, and was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles gain the victory. Then it goes on to say, the lamb broke the second seal. And I heard the living beings say, come. And another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. The third one, the lamb broke the third seal. And I heard the third living being saying, come. And I looked up and saw a black horse. And its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. 
And I heard a voice among the four living beings saying, a loaf of wheat, bread, or three loaves of barley. Famine. And then the fourth one, the lamb broke the fourth heel, and I heard the fourth living being say, come. And I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. His rider was death, and his companion was a grave. And this is a start. These are the first four seals. The other seals are developed. The fifth one is martyrdom for those who have come to faith. The sixth seal is a severe earthquake. Not just an earthquake, a severe, unbelievable earthquake. And the seventh seal actually brings us into the next, which is the trumpets. One third of vegetation is destroyed. Sea creatures die. Ships are destroyed. Waters are polluted. The sun, moon, and stars are darkened. Locusts are released to torment humanity. Four angels kill one third of humanity. And then the seventh seal, Christ's kingdom and reign is proclaimed. And then we go to the bowls, painful sores of common people. The sea becomes like blood. The rivers are turned to blood. The sun scorches with fire and heat, darkness and intense pain. The Euphrates River is dried up in preparation for an invasion by 200 million from the east. Severe earthquake and hail. And these together make up what we call the great tribulation judgments. Seals, trumpets, bowls. And as a result, we read that millions will die every day. Some through the ravages of war, others by starvation, some by natural disasters, others by the beasts of the earth. There will be a world war. And this will culminate in the battle of Armageddon. It's a horrendous period. Don't dilute it. I'm going through it in 20 minutes. Whenever you read the imagery that is there in the book of Revelation, and remember that John could not have described it. For example, and I only use it as an example. I'm not and for one moment saying that this is what he's describing. But how would John in the first century have described a tank running across a plane in the Ukraine, firing and describe the warfare that was taking place. What words would he have been able to use? And so therefore we have a total disaster. And the reason, the reason that God is bringing judgment upon this world we seem to think that this world can continue in the way it's going forever. That God doesn't matter. There's a point coming, and I believe sooner than we realize, when all of these events that are outlined for us during the Great Tribulation, and in particular in the second half, in the three and a half year period, in the second half, after the abomination of desolation, horrendous. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. For then there will be a great tribulation such as have not been seen since the beginning of the world unto this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. 
That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. In other words, we are looking at a period in history which we have never seen before. As God pours out his wrath and his judgment upon this world. Whenever a satanic influence will establish themselves as God. And the world will bow down and worship him. And the false prophet and the antichrist. And it doesn't look very positive. That's why I said there was worse to come. But, and they gathered together in the place which in Hebrew is called Hamagadon, or Armageddon. And the Antichrist will direct the kings of the earth to gather their armies for an all-out assault in the city of Jerusalem. And here's where we're talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people at this point will realize that Christ is their Messiah because before the battle, Jesus Christ will return to earth with the armies of heaven. And his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives outside Jerusalem, according to the Old Testament. And he will completely overpower the forces of evil at the Battle of Armageddon. In other words, Jesus wins. And we see the whole panorama of that seven years of Satan in control of this world and the destruction that comes about as God judges the world for those who will refuse to turn. And when it looks like it's all over and Satan's won, Christ Jesus returns and he's defeated at the battle of Armageddon. He will cast the Antichrist and the false prophets into the lake of fire. We looked at this last week. And he will bind Satan for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom. And he will set up his millennial kingdom on earth. And so here's where we are now on our timeline. I don't expect you all to take it in in a momentary glance. But if you look at it in the context of the book of Revelation, here's what we're covered. The tribulation and the millennium period. And we started with the millennium because I believe it places everything else in sequence. But before I sit down, Armageddon. If you walk up the hill from Nazareth. And if you just step from the top of nothing more than a hill, the very birthplace of the Lord Jesus. And if you stand there, you look out over the whole of Armageddon. In other words, as a boy, playing in the hills and the trees and the fields around Armageddon, or around Nazareth, Jesus looked towards the final battlefield. And he knew. He knew that was the point at which he would totally overcome. I'm reminded of the words in John's Gospel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? King of Kings.
the Lord of Lords.